Hi, I'm Liz Cully, and welcome back to Cool, Cool, Cool. Each week, I give you a glimpse into what I think is cool and chat with a ton of people that are definitely cool. No topic is off bounds unless, I guess, it's not cool. Welcome to Cool, Cool, Cool. Narrative podcasts are quickly becoming one of the biggest categories in the podcasting space. And to be honest, a huge inspiration for a lot of the episodes that I make here at Cool, Cool, Cool. I love getting a glimpse into somebody's life. And I've always been a huge fan of biographies and biographical television, film, memoirs. I was recently listening to Walter Isaacson on NPR about his process for writing the new Elon Musk biography and his infamous Steve Jobs biography. He was given unprecedented access to Musk for the last two years. And honestly, it sounds like Musk is not only a complicated person who displayed multiple demeanors and for lack of a word that I think gets overused, multiple personalities, but overall, he seems like an asshole. A very smart asshole, but an asshole. I don't expect him to agree with me about being an asshole, but what I do find interesting about a memoir versus a biography is how we shape our own narratives and our own stories and how we deliver our lived experiences versus somebody observing how we live those experiences. Sometimes they're not the same, but I really love, if I can, hearing about somebody's life through their own lens. I asked my neighbor if he knew anyone that would be interested in joining a panel of podcasters I was putting together for the Soho House, and he mentioned a show that he had produced called Crumbs. It's a narrative memoir from Emmy Olea, and I admit that I actually had never heard of it, and I had no idea, but I trusted him completely. And I didn't know what to expect. So I listened to an episode. And I think after the first, I don't know, 10 to 13 minutes, I was hooked. I felt like I was sitting at a dining room table while someone unfolded their entire life story to me. Emmy is so warm and so raw and so kind, just like through the airwaves that I couldn't wait to interview her, but then also have her on my panel. I feel like I know you deeply. And it's wild when you <laughs> listen, to, like every day I get in the car, I'm like, yes, I have 30 minutes and I can listen to a whole new episode. And then I, I feel like your show, and I mean this completely sincerely, I get annoyed when people call me because I'm like in the middle of your story. I'm like, <laughs> stop calling me. I'm listening to Emmy. I need to know what happens next. It's just the most beautiful, like, incredibly produced narrative podcast I think I've ever listened to. Oh, and thank you so much. Thanks for saying that. You know, I never thought I was going to have a podcast. That was not in my plan of things. It just kind of happened. And I fell in love with my producer at the time, Margaret Catcher, and she just... I was so comfortable with her that it was so easy to work on season one. Did yeah. you finish season one, by the way? Because if I, have not, I don't one, want to spoil it. Don't spoil it because I have one more episode, which I, of Is course, it? was trying to get to. But I, mean, I was like, wow, I feel like a really bad interviewer because I'm not done with the whole season. But I have one more left. <laughs> and I didn't want to listen to half of it. I can't. I feel like 
I like I said, it's like a book. I'm like, oh, no, 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 I have to finish. So I have one episode left of the love of season. Stories? Yes, of love stories. Okay. So just okay. don't, don't ruin, don't not I ruin it, but don't like spoil it. I should say. Um, I also find myself like talking back to you, <laughs> 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 like with one of your boyfriends, the. Trump, the Obama hating, like, I mean, at oh, first yeah. I was like, okay, hookah bar, yeah, like, we're into him, we're into him. And then, of course, this, you're, <laughs> I think you mentioned that he had like some sort of picture of Obama and he was like shooting, you know, he whatever. had a cardboard cutout, like life size of Obama. And then one day, like on a Sunday afternoon, he's like, let's shoot Obama. And I was horrified. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> um, it was just, <laughs> He was a total bro. And, you know, in recording this season, that season, that episode, I felt bad. I didn't really want to talk very negative about, like, the guys that I dated. I'm just talking about my experience and what, it, what it's been like, the challenges that I faced. And with this specific episode, I struggled because he is dead now. And so, I, yeah. Yeah. And, but I think, if anything, as a listener, it doesn't come across... Even Jason, like even all, even a lot of the different boyfriends that you talk about who I think were incredibly abusive to you verbally, you know, I, I think really that control, that was mm -hmm. what I really took away from it was like, wow, like abuse and control can be so incredibly subtle where you don't, you know what I mean? And especially I think if you're a child of an addict, which I am as well, I think you look for love in very different ways. And I think you can make excuses for people. Like I really felt myself in so many relationships that I've had that you were describing. And so I don't know if it was you speaking negatively about these people. Like I didn't walk away from it that I was more interested and really felt a kinship to your reaction to how they expressed love for you, which obviously is complicated on both sides, you know? It's super complicated. And yes, that was what I really wanted to do. It wasn't really about bashing them. It was yeah. about like seeing what patterns I've had in my dating relationships and what each relationship has taught me, what my takeaway has been from each relationship. And once you get to episode six, which is my last relationship that I was in, I'm able to see what a, what a difference and the types of, like every crumb gets bigger and bigger, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Settling for crumbs, that's what I've done my entire life, not just in my romantic life, but also at work or with my family because, you know, being from addict parents and going to work at a place where you always, I always felt like a double minority. Like I'm like, oh, not only am I, you know, Mexican and, or a woman of color, but I'm also transgender. And so that just adds another layer of things of shame of guilt so yeah there's a lot there's a lot that i talk about in season one that was very uncomfortable but also very necessary yeah absolutely i loved when you talked about your time working at at&t mm -hmm. and you worked there for a long time sounds like right when you were like 18 until how maybe early 20s or middle 20s no, I actually, so I worked there from 2001 to 2011. Oh my God, 10 years. Yes. That's a, that's a lot. That's a 10 year. You, you did it. 
AT&T was my first growing up job. And the only reason why I got the job at AT&T was to raise my sisters. Yeah. Because I got custody of them instead of going to college. So I was so excited because I was finally on my way to be successful, right? To go to college. I was a theater major. I got admitted to three universities. And all of a sudden, my mom goes to prison. Yeah. For crossing meth. And so now it's like my sisters are going to go into foster care. And there was no way that I was going to allow that to happen. So I went before the judge. I got the job at AT&T. And I did my best at raising a 12-year-old and an 8-year-old. And how old were you at that time? I was 19. Yeah. I mean. I just turned 19. Yeah. It's a lot for any 19-year-old, especially, you know what I mean, who's gone through watching their parents in and out of, you know, addiction and the system. And yeah, that's a lot. Um, I loved, though, hearing how as you started your transition, this idea, like having people respond to you in a way that felt obviously like your authentic self and how powerful that was for you and being seen as Emmy and how you changed your voice memo and how empowering that was for you. I mean, I was listening. I'm like, this, you're like going to HR. You're cha- you are doing very adult. Again, you're 19 years old. You're raising your sisters, but you're, you're setting yourself up to be, you know, to really take care of yourself, I thought. And like, I just loved, I loved the idea of you being seen immediately for your voice and, who, and telling people who you were and having them respond, you know, immediately to that. And I think being seen, especially in the queer community, is such a huge part of how we can start that like self-love process if there wasn't that before or if that was difficult. And what an incredible metaphor. It was like, no, like people, like I, you know, this was such a great experience. And you really owned that experience. Has anybody else... um kind of picked up on that or have you discussed that at all in, in any other interviews or I just I loved that bit in the I think I talked series. it over with my producer at the time because you have to have in mind this was in 2009 when this happened yes so things were so different than they are today in 2023 for the trans community right yeah you didn't I didn't really know any trans women I didn't know that I could go and legally change my name that I could go and ask for a new social security card. I didn't, I had to learn all that on my own because the resources were not there for me. And so it was something that once I did it, and I talk about this, I think in the podcast, it's like I could see in color. Yeah, I love that. Mm -hmm. And I always reference that because that's exactly what it felt like. I felt like I was finally living my authentic self. And yeah, people responded in a very positive way. And I think one of my coworkers said, well, Emmy, you are, you know, such a kind person to us. How can we not love you and embrace, embrace you? It's, yeah. It was a scary thing. I, I can't imagine, especially as you said in 2009. I mean, you even reference online dating, you know, and for me, it was the same. It was before it was okay, Cupid and plenty of fish and like all, you know, yeah. I, I loved yeah. <laughs> And it was funny because I was driving in the car and you were saying, you're like, so I like went into online dating and this was before Tinder. And I was like, okay, Cupid girl, me too. Like, I was like, mm-hmm. and that's actually mm-hmm. where I, for my own self, like really started trying to explore dating women was on okay, Cupid because I had such an issue with it in person. And I would go to the gay bars and the lesbian bars and like, no one would talk to me. But again, this isn't about me. But I, <laughs> I was like, hi, hello, me, you know, but I felt 
online dating, at least at that time, I could, you know, have conversations and sort of vet people out first, um, which mm -hmm. I thought was great. But I did love that, you know, you mentioned the the life before Tinder. But yeah, 2009. I mean, how did you find out about, you know, getting a social security card and a name change and I identification that really matched who you were? How did you find out about that? Yeah. So when I first started my transition, like I said, I didn't know a lot of trans women. I knew two. Okay. One of them was a hairdresser in TJ in Mexico. Love it. And so I didn't learn it from her. And then the other girl was um, someone that I met in the rooms of recovery and she uh, was a sex worker and she was like not helpful to me. She, I, she wanted to just said, oh yeah, um, I asked her for advice because mm -hmm. she was the only woman that was around me and I didn't get the, the help that I was, the support that I was hoping for. So, and then in one of my episodes, I think I talk about a pink party. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah. Okay. So I met this girl at a clinic. That's the only thing that gr that girl that I met told me, oh, there's a clinic you can probably call and get more information on. So I called the clinic and it was to get on hormones. Mm. I made an appointment. I showed up and then this young girl who was also starting her transition around the same time extended like her friendship to me. And that's how I started learning about the trans community. And we talk about, I talk about the pink parties that she invited me to. And it was just a lot of research, a lot of research online that I had to do on my own. Yeah. That's why it's so important, I think, for us to find and whatever community it is that you're in, you know what I mean? Whatever it looks like. I mean, I'm talking even on an interest level. I think, you know, if you're not finding that those resources at home in your own, you know, family of origin, especially if your family of origin is chaotic, mine certainly was from listening to the podcast, yours certainly was finding those communities that can be that second family to you is so important. And that is why visibility is also so important. You know, I think, you know, being able to talk to each other and ask questions in a safe place. It's, it's like invaluable, you know? hundred percent. Yeah. And so what I do for work during the day, um, I walked in to this organization as the, the first trans employee they ever had. And so right away, I felt very insecure. Yeah. I felt like I was going to be targeted. And sure enough, you know, we had a lot of shortcomings, but we've been able to grow from those shortcomings that we've had as an organization. And I just got to speak on this panel about these challenges these that we face in this industry about so i work in the the industry of, of treatment right i work for a nonprofit drug and alcohol treatment center and i get to be the change there and it's a domino effect we have to continue educating because we want to provide resources for our trans community for everyone when i got to this organization i was like where are the trans clients at sure i know that the trans community suffers from substance use disorder why aren't they here? Yeah. And so because this organization has been around for over 52 years, they have very old ideas of what treatment should look like. Mm -hmm. And so for me, it was very important to really voice what it's like to be a trans woman who's trying to get sober, yeah. who's trying to get clean, who's trying to get off drugs, get off the streets, because we have these resources available, but we have to create a safe space for them to want to come sure. into treatment if that makes any sense. It does. I mean, I think especially in treatment, if you see somebody that, you know, either understands you or 
you know, has been in similar positions or I, I can't imagine that that doesn't already like lower a defense. I don't think it's very easy to go. I mean, I have never been in treatment, but I can only imagine as I've had friends and family members who have been, it's not easy to make that first step into recovery. It's not easy to keep sober. It's not, you know, I mean, I think that's why we celebrate year after year because it it's hard. It's, you know what I mean? It's, it's, really, really hard. So I think if you have other people there that can understand what you've been going through, or at least really, truly empathize, I can only imagine that it would help you in your sobriety and keep sober, but also build community as well, you know? A hundred percent. And one of the things that I, you know, we talk about, we, we're under new leadership now, and it's been amazing just because we get to grow. And we know that we can't make fear-based decisions. We have to evolve with the times. Addiction was so different when I got sober in 2007 than it is today. Today, we are facing a fentanyl epidemic. People are dying left and right. Yeah. And so it's my responsibility to make services accessible to everyone. Yeah. I mean, even like you look in Los Angeles, even methamphetamines have changed so much. Like P2P meth is, is a, it's a t- completely different drug than what, you know, crystal. I mean, I could really go down this path. My wife is actually like fascinated in all of this. And we have long conversations about the change in crystal meth. But really now P2P meth, it's like cheaper. It's synthetic. It has totally different side effects. If you live in Los Angeles, you can see it within the homeless population. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, the hoarding, the psychosis, it's totally different. And it's ravaging, you know, young people and old people and everybody, you know, it doesn't, addiction doesn't care what you look like or who you are, which gender, you know what Not I mean? Like it, yeah. it just is what it is. Right. So, I mean, I, I think, yeah, I mean, if it's it just, you're right. And the fentanyl, it's just like, it's just so, yeah, I, I think res- as much resources as we can make available to anyone is incredibly important. You are so really like almost like naked honest in this show. I don't know why that's the word I came up with, but go with me on this journey. You are bare. You are really like, I feel, you know, so attached to it. And like I said, I'm not kidding. I would be like, don't call. I'm, I literally was on the phone with Rachel. I was like, can I call you back? I'm like trying to finish this episode. Like, was that, how hard was that for you? I feel like you just, I feel like it's so successful because you didn't hold back. Like, if this was your first podcast, like how did you, how did it you was have so that vulnerability? It was so hard. Um, and I think because the podcast idea came out of the book. Yes. I wrote a book, a memoir, and it was just me and my laptop. Everything got in there. My deepest, darkest secrets, my insecurities, my flaws, everything, the good, the bad, the ugly. That's just how I wrote this book. I didn't ever think anyone was going to read it. But then when someone did read it, they said, Emmy, this can help so many people. Yeah. You need to go ahead with, because honestly, the book thing started as kind of a therapeutic thing for me. Sure. It was not something that I was wanting to publish or people to know everything that I've done. Because, you know, I talk about some pretty embarrassing things in the podcast and in the book. So when my producers um, read certain chapters of, of the book, they're like, 
we have to talk about this. We should probably, you know, address these things. I was very nervous, but what I had in mind at the forefront of my mind was like, okay, well, this is going to help someone who's gone through a similar situation. Right. And that's why we tell our stories. That's why we share our war stories because it makes us uniquely qualified to help somebody who's gone through a similar situation. And it gives them hope that they can get through it as well. Yeah. And that was very important for me. I kept telling myself that even though there were some days when I'd record and then I'd like be so sad afterward and just feel sit with my feelings because I can't drink, I can't use drugs, like I can't kill myself. Like these aren't just things that that I don't do. So I I had to sit with my feelings and like work work through them. Yeah. Which I think made me stronger. Oh, I mean, undoubtedly. I mean, even a therapy session. I mean, I I'm like the queen of avoiding. My therapist, bless her heart. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, babe, I am giving you a 55-minute stand-up routine. How are you not seeing this? You know what I mean? Like sometimes she'll be like, okay, do you want to address like real things today, Liz? Or are you just like, you know what I mean? Because mm -hmm. sometimes when you relive these moments, it it doesn't just, you don't just say them and then you're like, oh yeah, I remember X, Y, and Z. You sit with them. I mean, there's things that I even in the back of my, I like have just completely blocked out and blacked out. I mean, I, I've met pe certain people. I mean, you and I were talking about high school graduations. I have people on social media reach out to me and they're like, oh, hey, Liz, like, are you coming to the 20th year anniversary? I'm like, who are you? And I'll send a <laughs> screenshot to my friend Brandon. And he's like, Liz, what is wrong with you? Like, how do you not know this? We went to high school with this person. And I'm like, I do not remember. I mean, I really, it's pretty incredible what the mind can do to protect yourself. So mm -hmm. reliving these moments, I can't imagine it wouldn't be, you know. It was painful. painful. But like I said, it was necessary to sure. be authentic to the story. And I think that's what resonated with the listeners so much that I was real. I didn't try to make myself sound good because I talk about the ugly stuff too. And I think that's, the DMs that I was getting from listeners was from that. Like, yes. Oh, thank you for keeping it real. Like, I can relate to this. Yeah. I mean, listen, I'm not, I, you and I have not gone through the same experiences and the same life. But like I said, there were so many things, especially relationship wise, also with your mother, you know, my mom, like struggling with my mom. Like, I just felt, I, felt so seen. I've, I've had really similar experiences to you. They were obviously my own, but those emotions that those patterns sometimes, like, I was like, oh my God, like, I was like, girl, same, like, oh God. Or like, you know what I mean? Or you're like, oh, you know, and then this boyfriend was like constantly texting me. And I was like, hmm, sort of like into it at first because it was so much attention. And then I was like, whoa. And I'm like, oh my God. Or like when you didn't want to get married, I was like, ah, me too. You know, I mean, I think, <laughs> which by the way, that conjured up that story about that one boyfriend in particular, like, wow, this guy's like so nice. Like he wants to get married and I'm like finishing college and I was just like dreading it. And I had such a similar experience with someone and it was after a pretty abusive relationship that I had had. And I was like, oh my God, you're bringing me back, Emmy. And you know, <laughs> mm -hmm. so that's what I'm saying. Like I, that, oh, you God. know, has any of the boyfriends reached out to you since the podcast? Yes. And it's so funny that you talked about this specific one. Because it was that one. 
No, well, what happened is one of my friends recently passed away. Sorry. And I went down to San Diego to the services and I felt like there was a slight chance that he could be there, but I wasn't sure. And then I looked them, I looked for him on Facebook mm. just because I wanted to see like, if, is he alive sure. or is he in prison? I, I even looked for him. This is how crazy I am. I even looked for him in the prison websites just to see if he was incarcerated because I haven't had any contact with him since. Got it. I couldn't find him. So hmm. I showed up to the services and as I was leaving, as I was walking out, he walked in with his, I guess, girlfriend, wife, I'm not sure. And it stopped me dead in my tracks. I was just like, oh my God, there he is. Did and he looked at me. He looked at me and he said, hi. And he kept walking. Oh my God. I, I froze. I didn't know what to do or say. Yeah. But I was on my way out. I was on my way out. So I was like, should I go back? Should I say hi? Should I try? No, he's with someone. Just let it go. And so I let it go. I sat in my car and I just sat there for a minute. And I had to really process what had, hatched, what had just happened because he did not look good. Mm. He looked really sucked up. He looked high. And so that was very sad for me to see. Yeah. So he's the one that I've seen since the podcast. I know Jason, episode one, I'm friends with his mom. So I, oh. I hear how he's doing sometimes. I think he's in prison right now. <laughs> okay. So, and then, like I mentioned, episode two, he, he passed away in 2017. It was, yeah. he, it was just like something tragic that happened to him. Hmm. And I'm then episode number four, he reached out to me on Instagram. Really? What'd you he say? Did. And he said, Emmy, oh my God, I just listened to your pod. I just finished your podcast. And wow, I am so proud to have been part of your life. That's nice. And it was a very, very nice message because I don't know if, if you remember in that episode, you know, Nothing terrible happened. No, it wasn't. I, yeah. You know, you didn't ever do anything terrible to me. It was just a commitment thing. Yeah. It was just uh, something that he wasn't ready at the time or, or willing to go there with me. So it was very nice to see that message. And I, I replied to him and I said, thank you so much for telling me this. Um, I'm so grateful that I got to be part of your life because that's how I truly feel. Yeah. He taught me a lot. He taught me a lot. And, you know, <laughs> he recently reached out again for something. He, he saw me like somewhere. He saw like a clip of me somewhere. Or I, I don't remember. I think it was like a show that I was on. I'm not sure. And he reached out and said, oh, I just saw you. Blah, blah, blah. And it, he was just, he just said hi. That's nice. It's nice. And, you know, he's got his life now. He, things are, won't be the same, but it's nice that he can come to me with something and I'm sure if I reached out to him with in need of something, he would be more than happy to help me. It's nice when you can have those type of interactions with people that you used to date. It's been a little few and far between with me. And surprisingly enough, I think when I, the, some of the women I've dated, I would have expected an apology by now. <laughs> 
and Wait, I this haven't is, gotten one. This is how I feel about about one of my episodes. Like I'm, I'm still waiting for this apology. It's probably not going to happen. I just have to accept that it's not going to happen. Well, that's the biggest thing. I mean, I remember the first girl I dated. I mean, she treated me like shit. And then the worst part that happened is that she totally ghosted me. And then, as you know, living, we're here in LA now, right? Yeah, yeah. that's what, it, okay. But you know how it is in LA. It's like, if somebody starts to get famous or like something happens, you start to see them every, like, so she totally ghosted me and then just had this like massive moment in her career and I just couldn't fucking escape it. And I would be so hungry and tired and I've just had like four jobs and I'm walking back to my apartment at like, you know, three in the morning having worked as a bar back or like as a waitress or whatever. And I was just like so tired and I'd look up and <laughs> on Sunset Boulevard <laughs> and a billboard and it's like her fucking movie. And I'm just like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Um, but right. I couldn't let it go. And I was so upset. And I think, you know, when you first have that relationship where you feel completely yourself, which is what I had because I had just come out and I hadn't really been in a relationship with a woman at the time. So I was like feeling all the feelings and I was 25, but I'm feeling 14 and, you know, like your hormones and whatever. I It took me, I feel like three times as long as the relationship was, if not longer, to get over it. And I met an, an older woman who was very cool. She was like in her 70s and we were at a concert. I don't know. Again, I don't, never think about these things, but we were backstage and I was just, she's like, you look real sad. Like we're at a concert. Like what's your problem? And I'm like, uh, I just can't get over this girl. And she's like, you know what? I was like, I just, I really, I really feel like she owes me an apology. She's like, you're never going to get that apology. Like ever. And even if you did, you have to, you have to just repair yourself. She's like, you've got to cut yourself and let the skin heal back because that person's not going to, is not going to heal you. Like you've got to do it yourself. And so I try to be that mature, but let me tell you, if some, if I feel like somebody owes me an apology, I would say I sort of forgive, but I won't forget, you know? And that's how you feel with episode six. Got it. Yeah. Fair enough. You haven't listened to it. So I, no. um, that's all I'll say. Well, and I hope every single person that listens to this podcast goes and listens to your whole first season, because let me tell you guys, you can DM both of us. Please DM Emmy first and then me and tell me how much you love it. But I, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, have, did you ever have moments when you were recording where you had an opportunity, you know, to think about what you would say to yourself as a younger person? Now that you have all of this experience and all of this knowledge. Oh, yeah. Every single episode. Because, like I said, when I finished recording the last or episode six, it just dawned on me that I've grown so much as a woman, that I've grown so much in like what I accept, what standards I, I live by. And so just episode one to episode six, it's like night and day. Yeah. Like I would I would never put up with somebody who is abusive physically and verbally yeah or manipulative like i today i would never do that but also like the way i met him like i had a part in that so i i take responsibility for how i met him for the listeners you met someone who was earlier in their recovery you had had a few years and typically that's 
you know, not something a lot of people do. Is that kind of how you it's feel not like advice you yeah. to date somebody who's newly sober, newly clean because they're working on themselves. And sure. When I met Ryan, I was a year and a half sober. Yep. So still a little new, but not I, I knew better. Yeah. And so meeting him who had 90 days sober, right? He yeah. had just been released to a treatment center from prison. Like I, I should have known better. Right. But again, I, yeah, he hadn't had the opportunity to work on himself today with 16 years sober. I would never do that. I've learned, I learned the hard way. I always share about like, I learned the hard way why we don't date the newcomer. Right. Right. Because he gave me the attention and validation that I always wanted. I didn't get it from my mom. I didn't get it from my dad. I didn't get it from anyone else. My friends, like he gave me that attention, that validation that made me feel seen, wanted, desired. And so I put up with a lot of shit, the physical abuse, the emotional abuse, because I thought he really loved me. I thought that's yeah. what love looked like because that's what I saw in my mom's relationships growing up. Those were the kind of relationships she would get into. And so I thought, oh, this guy really loves me. It's okay if he like beats me up and cheats on me and all this stuff. Like it, I'm his main girl. Right which is ridiculous. Like today I think about that. I'm like, I cannot believe that I stood for that. Yeah. I mean, do you think there's something though also to, I mean, there's a lot of things I look back in my life similarly where I'm like, oh my God, Liz, like what in the world were you thinking? And I think though a little bit like, well, I know you say you have to learn the hard way or that's sort of, you know, an aspect. I, I think I did. Th I, I had to work it out. I, I didn't know any better. And there was nobody there to tell me that it wasn't what I should be doing, you know? Mm -hmm. Right. So, and I wouldn't be where I am today. You wouldn't be where you are today had you not had that experience, I guess. I don't know. Exactly. So it's all lived experience and I'm grateful that I've had it because I, ha I do have an amazing quality of life compared to let's say 2006, 2007, early 2007. Sure. Things are so different for me. And I've grown so much as a person. And I learned from the women in recovery, the kind of woman that I wanted to be because I didn't have those role models, as you've heard. Yeah. So I also, you know, I take after my grandmother a lot. That's all I'll say, I'll say <laughs> for now. <laughs> what would your younger self be impressed with the most? about Emmy today? Well, A, being alive. Fair. Because I was okay with not, not living past 30. I just like numb myself with drugs, with alcohol, with whatever I can get on, my hands on. And so being alive is like, oh shit, like I'm, <laughs> I'm getting older. It's cool. No, whatever. But I think also breaking that cycle of addiction that has just come down generations. Sure. My grandfather was an alcoholic. My grandmother was addicted to other things that you might hear about in season two. Got it. Um, <laughs> my mom addicted to heroin. My dad addicted to heroin. My other grandfather, alcoholic. So for me, just being able to be someone completely different, I was the first person to graduate from college. Like all these things are for me, super impressive because Very impressive. From, where I, from where I come from, having junkie parents, we typically fall into the same lifestyle right so did you think you'd be living in los angeles 
an actress with a show. I think all those things are also very impressive as well. Maybe more surface, but like pretty cool. I like, think I, you know, or did you always I, know? I mean, you, I know you wanted, you wanted to do theater, but did you think this was where it would be? I always knew that this was what I wanted to do. Yeah. I didn't think that I was going to get to because in 2009, when I started my transition, I didn't see trans representation in the media. Yeah. So that's why I went to college to have a degree because I felt like it, I, it, it's not going to happen for me ever. Mm. Right. My, my fears, making fear-based decisions, my insecurities made me choose a different career. And it's not till, you know, uh, stuff came out like Orange is the New Black or, you know, things that I started having that hope. You know, I've always been a late bloomer at everything. <laughs> That's just who I am. And today I get to do what I've always wanted to do. I get to, you know, train, audition, whatever. I get to live my dream. And, you know, working in the SCD industry, the substance use disorder industry was kind of just like a happy accident. I need a day job to pay my bills. Sure. And it's something that I'm passionate about that aligns with my, how I live. So I feel like I pretty much have it made. Yeah. And what, a, what an amazing, content feeling. You know what I mean? Like, what, what a, I can't imagine that's not like a warm feeling to be content like that. You know what I mean? To have, you know, be your day. Listen, a lot of people, when they're pursuing their dreams, their day job is like, the work. You know what I mean? It's not fulfilling. It doesn't I, align yeah. with their values. It doesn't get them to meet and help interesting people. So that I think is wonderful. It, it is wonderful. And I see that because you know, when I go to class on Tuesday nights, I, I hear what people's day jobs are and how much they complain or, yeah. and, and I'm like, oh, I'm lucky. Like I get to work in a field where I feel like it's very rewarding. I get to give back to the community. I get to give back to, I give, I get to give back what was so freely given to me when yeah. I got sober. So there's purpose in that. And I work hard for my organization. I work hard because I care because I, because I love it and it affords me the ability to pursue my dreams. Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. I love, you know, throughout the series, you talk about crumbs. Obviously that's the name of the series. You talk about, you know, accepting yes. crumbs. Oh, yeah. Oh, I was wondering. I was like trying to not stare at your chest, but I was like, what? Is, <laughs> what is what does that say? Um, I love my that. My best friend got me this for my birthday. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's a good best friend. Um, I but I love that idea because I, when I first, well, when Alex, my neighbor, sent it to me, I was like, you got to listen to this. And I was like, okay. Um, I was like, huh, crumbs, you know, like what an interesting name for a podcast. Like, let me listen. And I love it because you obviously tie it back. I think every episode and each episode we like hear more and more. I think about how that analogy of like crumbs means to you, but, or, mm -hmm. but for the listeners now, like how did you land on crumbs and where did that kind of thread come through? So initially when Alex, Margaret and I met about having a podcast, making a podcast, this was going to focus on my dating stories only where we were going to pick from the book dating stories, because there's a bunch of them, not mm -hmm. just those six that I talk about. There's a whole bunch of them and kind of give it a flirty, sexy, sex in the city type of feeling. Okay. 
as they read more of my book, they were interested in my childhood. Yeah. And so we made the connections of like, oh, well, my dating patterns came from these experiences that I had as a child. And in one of the brainstorms, I said, yeah, I just, I've been fucking settling for crumbs my entire life. And Margaret's like, that's the name. <laughs> so I love it. That's, that's how crumbs happen. I love it. Cause it is, it's this, I, you know, and I really love how you weave in the stories of the people that you date, but then also back to your childhood and different moments. And that's, and I, it's, that's why I love like the AT&T story or the, you know, I think obviously our childhood shapes who we are and how we behave and interact with other people and in relationships. And so I love that it's kind of these two stories coming together, or each episode really almost has like two stories that like blend in and out of each other. And I, and I love learning more about your family of origin and, and how you came to be in these relationships and, and the learnings that you have in all of that. So I love that. But it's so interesting when you first have an idea of something and how it sort of evolves. Is there anything that you didn't get to talk about in season one that you wish you had? Maybe you'll talk about it in season two or not. Or is there anything that was left on the cutting room floor that you were like, ugh? I love our theme for season one. I love the dating because, trust me, I've done tons of dating and dating is fucking complicated. Yeah. So there are many stories that are in the book that didn't make it on season one that I wish I could have talked about. Um, stories of dating like a pro athlete or uh, dating a trans man, dating, you know, things that, because it was just always uh, disappointment after disappointment. And so I wish there were some more of those stories in season one. They're not in season two because season two, we took a different approach and we really focused on something else. It's still really cool. And I, I, think, I think you're going to love it personally, just from speaking to you. But yeah, I think those are the stories that I wish I could have told more. And then, of course, there is life after what I like to call life after Dylan, right? Which is from my last relationship to today. Because I'm dealing with intention. It's not just... Let me see who, what sticks, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, maybe that's season three. You never Possibly. know. <laughs> and what about the book? Like, is that something, I know you said when you wrote the book, it was, you know, cathartic. It was for you. It was a therapy kind of exercise. And obviously it spawned an incredible podcast, but is this something that you're going to put out in the world that we can all buy and read? So I do have a literary agent. She is trying to get it picked up. And published. She is working on it. I didn't think that I was want that I wanted to have this book out. Got it. Just because it talks about so many personal things to me, things that I, you know, I talk, I, I write like I, my thoughts are on paper. Yeah. Things that I reflect on and that are sometimes not so positive or bright or pretty. But like I said, it was very important for me once somebody read. I, the first 80 pages, I had 80 pages typed out and somebody read them. They're like, this needs to be a book. Go, go, go. And I'm like, uh, okay, what do I do with that? I don't know. So I, I finished the book. I finished the book in Barcelona. I was on a vacation in Barcelona. I just sat there for days finishing my book because this was after 
I went back and rewrote the book, the ending of it, because I had finished it. And then episode six happened in my life. And then I went to Barcelona and I was like, oh, this has a whole new meaning. Like, mm-hmm. let's rewrite the ending. And I did. And then I got a literary agent. And during this time, you know, I got some really cool testimonials for my book from people in the entertainment industry. And I thought that was really, really, um, it really touched me that they read it and they had such positive things to say about it. And so once my agent saw that, she's like, yeah, this, we're going to get this published. And so she's been working on it for a long time. It's, it's kind of difficult, I think, to sell addiction stories. It's not something that is very easy. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful that we can get it published. Um, but season one came out before the book. Yeah. And now season two is coming out on Tuesday. So I'm hoping we can get it published. I feel like, well, one, I think you will. But I also, I feel like at it's wonderful that you're you're able to take these stories and bring them to life in a way now. I think in the industry, so many times we wait, and I've been victim to this many, many times with a book, which by the way, all I had to just put like end because they kept trying to make it very, and it's funny that you bring up that kind of the first thought starters, more or less of your series were going to be like Sex in the City. I wrote a book really about, you know, my life and being bisexual and what that meant for me and and the scary parts and the good parts. And they just kept trying rewriting it. And it felt like almost like erotica or something. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like you can have sex and relationships without it necessarily being just about sex. You know what I mean? Like sex, mm-hmm. it, it, whatever. Anyway. So I think that can be tough, but I I love that, you know, you were able to craft something so beautiful that comes directly from you, um, literally, because we listen to you and it's wonderful. And you have a gorgeous voice. It's like so soothing. I'm like, I could listen to you, like, read a grocery list. (laughs) Somebody told me that yesterday when I walked into work. one of my coworkers said, I just found your podcast. I'm listening to it and I love your voice. And for me, it's like, oh, thank you so much for saying that because I hated my voice so much. I disliked it. You mean and when you listen to the podcast? In the beginning, yes, I wasn't used to it. And so oh, I even it. I would cringe just listening to it. it, it I've had, I had to fall in love with my voice. Oh, I love it. Also, and I'm that like, was ooh, speak that was, Spanish that was to me, Emmy. Process. Mm, speak <laughs> Spanish to me. Yes, yes, yes. I like love it. And I think you can feel it doesn't sound like a producer-y. It's like you're beautiful. That's what I mean. I just, I really find, I was like, oh, Emmy's like my friend who's just telling me about her life. Because sometimes you listen to shows and they're like, whoa. And, it, and you're like, whoa, dude. Like nobody talks like that. You know, well, they were just conversations that I was having with my producer. I love that's it. how it happened. It was it wasn't, you know, there's very little scripting. It's mostly me having a conversation just like I'm having with you and me reliving everything as I'm telling it, which is why it was so painful at the time to relive certain things. And, you know, she would say, do you need to pause? Do you want to, you know, she would say, make sure you take care of yourself after we finish recording, which is why I love her so much. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
Uh, I just thought of something when you were telling me about, you know, your book and how they wanted to rewrite it um, into something that it wasn't. I had somebody connect me when I was first um, trying to get a literary agent. Somebody connected me with a very well-known literary agent and he read it and he's like, love it. It's great. Let's get a ghostwriter. And I said, absolutely not. Why? Where, where's the need for that? They did the same to me. And so Which, <laughs> it feels so you're like, why? If you love it and it's my voice, why would we need a ghostwriter? And see, I've never claimed to be a writer. It just kind of happened, like I said, as a therapeutic process. But based on the fee- feedback that I've gotten from the people who gave me testimonials and, and I, I'm like, there's something here. Obviously, people wouldn't just those people just wouldn't say that. So I was against getting a ghostwriter and that's what happened. Great. Yeah, don't get it. Go- and you know, what was even funny for me. The ghostwriter that they wanted to link me up with, I knew already. Wonderful writer. Don't get me wrong. But I was like what? I don't under, it's so interesting. The industry, which I talk about a lot on this show, is just one complicated goddamn mess. I mean, again, we're now in a double strike, which is really destroying any type of hot girl summer that I was trying to have, let me tell you, but (laughs) in a very necessary strike. So I'm like down and trust me, was honking all the way down Forest Lawn today when I went by the WB picket line. But the industry is in need of a change. And I think all of those things where it's like, you have to have this type of agent or you have to have a ghostwriter or you have like, and I'm not saying that that you have to, I'm saying that is their mind of like, okay, well X, you know, one plus one is two. It's like, it doesn't have to be that way. I think, you know, if anything, I was under the impression that the internet had and podcasting and all of these things where creative people had the tools and were able to reach people in different ways was going to change things a little bit more quickly. But I think the old guard really does stay, hold strong to a lot of these kind of formulaic notions of how things are supposed to be put together, which are quite archaic and I'm hoping kind of disappear at some point. And, and hopefully they, and hopefully these strikes with the writers and, and the actors kind of push that forward. But yeah, fuck that. You don't need a ghostwriter. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean. It's like, mm-hmm. what? I feel the same way. Listen, I think, yeah, a lot of people tell a lot of us what we need to do and who we need to be and, and what that is. But I, I don't think that's actually what people want. You know? Right. Is there any other podcast? Do you listen? Did I know this was your first podcast, but like, were you a podcast listener before or was this all brand spanking new? It was all brand new. I have started listening to podcasts since. Um, now I listen to podcasts to go to bed. That's oh, you do? My, my ritual. It's my routine. Yes. And so they, ha- they are part of my life now. But prior to this, I had not listened to podcasts. When we first started, I, you know, talking about the idea of having a podcast, I started listening to podcasts because I wanted to know what it was like, storytelling, sure. like audio memoirs, like, well, what are they like? Like, what's the, how do they arc it? Like, I, wanted, I needed to learn what I was getting myself into. It's a weird world. I didn't listen to them either before. I didn't never listen to like books on tape. I know my cousin, like, that's all she does. She listens to book on tape. I never did any of that, but it's such a funny, I ask only because I didn't either. And then for me, 
a lot of the times I, it, you know, people will say, oh, did you listen to this or that? I'm like, oh, I'm too busy having a full-time job trying to record, trying to have guests be a guest, do all of these things. But it was so, I, I really, I really mean it when I say I just was so grateful that I found your show because it's like, I just, I got really lost in it. And I think a lot of times, I mean, listen, this is an interview show. I do have some shows where it's more of like audio memoir, but that's not every episode. And, you know, I love just meeting new people. And this whole, sh this whole show I put together is because I wanted to bring interesting, cool people that I either knew or discovered to everybody else. So that's not what this is. But for me, getting lost in your story was like very therapeutic and wonderful and so i just love it i can't wait for season I feel, two i feel so lucky because they took a chance on me on my story and you know it, it turned out to be something beautiful i'm very happy with our what, what came out and i was when they said we can we'd like to do a season two uh i said absolutely let's do it and so yeah. here we are and you know it was i was so surprised and humbled that season one got nominated for a Webby Award. And I'm like, me? I'm like a nobody. <laughs> it's like, how does this happen? This doesn't happen to people like me. So it was just like really, it's been an amazing experience. I did finish the first season shortly after this interview. And I'm kind of glad that I hadn't finished it before we spoke. I know that sounds weird. And I have to admit, I was a little bit panicked that I was sounding like an asshole because I'm like, oh my God, I should have finished the whole thing before we, um, <laughs> we talked. But I'm glad that I didn't because I loved the finale even more. Um, and I've already started season two, which just came out last week. Uh, and this season, it looks at really the relationship between Emmy and her mother, which is totally fascinating to me, uh, as I'm sure you guys can all guess at this point. And Emmy was right in our interview when she said she thought I would like season two or be very touched by it um, because she's right. What I love about podcasts, music, TV, film is discovery. I feel like it's so hard to find new like pieces of content, new entertainment, because there's just so much of it. And I'm so, so happy that I discovered Emmy and Crumbs. I cannot urge you all enough to listen to Emmy and to listen to Crumbs. I know you're not really supposed to like play favorites when you do a panel, but I did do the panel yesterday and I couldn't stop <laughs> saying over and over again that everybody should listen to the podcast. It's just, it's so beautiful and, um, and it's so unique and it really separates itself from the endless pop culture podcast, which I admit is basically this one as well. I mean, or somebody could argue. Um, and the endless, you know, true crime and Bravo interviews that are just dominating the podcast world these days. So go listen. Um, and once you do, make sure to DM me and tell me what you think. Mm -hmm.